To be here with you, thank you so much for your warm welcome today. A real blessing for me to be able to share with you um, in your worship. Uh, Thank you. And uh, we do pray that uh, God will speak to us uh, through his word. So that climb that those uh, disciples and Jesus made would have been long and hard. Heading up to Jerusalem from Jericho would not have been easy. Jericho, 800 feet below sea level, and Jerusalem, about a dozen miles away, nearly 3,000 feet above sea level. But what a glorious sight would have greeted that group when they finally reached the top of the Mount of Olives, the great city of Jerusalem, the place where the living God had chosen to dwell, the place where through the regular daily sacrifices, Israel was assured of forgiveness, of fellowship with God himself, of hope for their future. This pilgrim convoy was making its way to join with hundreds of others to celebrate the great Jewish stories of the past, of freedom and of hope, to celebrate the Passover, to celebrate freedom from slavery in Egypt and to anticipate the freedom of God's sovereign and saving presence in the coming kingdom. And then they stop. They're in familiar territory, near Bethany, where Martha and Mary and Lazarus lived. But they don't stop there, not at this point in the day. Instead, Jesus takes a breather close by and sends two of his disciples on an errand. Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it. And we'll bring it back shortly. Sorry, Lord, you want us to do what? But what if they put up a fight? Peter, they won't put up a fight. What if they want us to pay for it? Matthew, that won't be an issue. I really don't think anybody's just going to let you take their donkey. Just don't see it happening. Thomas, Go get me that donkey. Of course, the scripture tells us only that they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if they had had something of a debate with Jesus about what he was asking them to do. They might have been surprised by his sudden request, but Jesus knew what he was doing. This wasn't a spur of the moment idea. Jesus has prepared for this. He knows that his time has nearly come. And he uses the prophecies of the prophet Zechariah to declare that he is the Messiah. But without using any words. He uses the colt, the donkey, to declare that he is the one whose coming has been anticipated for centuries. In Zechariah chapter 9, it tells us, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. 
humble and righteous, having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. When, I wonder, did the disciples call to mind that prophecy? When did they make the link? Perhaps it was as the two returned successfully and perhaps surprisingly with the colt. Perhaps Jesus chatted with the others while they waited. But as surely as they would have been aware of that prophecy is what they miss. Because what they still don't get is that this is a king who is coming in peace. Riding a colt into Jerusalem, it had been done before. David had done it. Solomon had done it. The great kings of Israel's past had ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so maybe that's where part of the confusion lies. The disciples and the followers want the Roman occupation out. They want the corrupted temple system fixed. They want the daily injustices and persecutions against them to cease. They want a leader who will solve problems and not sell out to Rome. And they think that Jesus is just that person. They think he's going to walk on water all the way to Rome and bring some of that Sodom and Gomorrah fire and brimstone down on the Colosseum and the Imperial Palace. Then he's going to come back to Jerusalem and give all the centurions the boot and possibly even drown all the Pharisees in the Dead Sea. Cloaks are spread on the ground and branches cut from the fields are placed on the road. And without any attempt to correct or explain, Jesus sits on the donkey and enters the city. And those who went ahead and those who followed, as Mark tells us, shouted, Hosanna! Which always sounds like a praise shout when we use it, but which actually means save now. It was a cry of help to God or to the king to break in and save his people and to do so right away. This was the people's expectation of the Messiah, of the one who would save his people. And then words from Psalm 118 are added, which just fuel that expectation of that triumphant, all-conquering hero's entry. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The psalm was written as a royal song of thanksgiving for military victory, but it was set in the context of a procession, and so it made perfect sense for those around Jesus to use it now. But in all of this, Jesus still says nothing. Despite all that acclamation, all of that fuss, the scene ends surprisingly in something of an anticlimax. Processions and marches these days always seem to end in a, a round of rousing battle cry speeches and sometimes, as we know all too well, sometimes in violence. But not now. The enthusiastic shouts are allowed to die down and Jesus retires to the peace and quiet of Bethany. The irony, of course, is that Jesus is the Messiah. 
He is the one who had come to save his people, bringing that salvation. But of those who had experienced his ministry or had heard stories about him, many only saw Jesus as that long-awaited deliverer of Israel in a political or a military sense. But Jesus had rejected this interpretation because it was too narrow a definition of salvation. Instead, he had come to set all people free from everything that dehumanizes and keeps us away from God and from that life to the full that he had come to bring. And while those around him that day had called out, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, it seems that they had not fully grasped what kind of kingdom Jesus had come preaching and the repentance it required. Repentance. Turning around or turning right away from yourself to head in a completely new direction. Jesus' call was radical. He called his first disciples away from their houses, their jobs, and their families to follow him. And he still does. Jesus still calls people to turn away from themselves to a lifelong discipleship of following him. Following not a mighty warrior, but a prince of peace. And the salvation he brings applies to all of life, as well as being deeply personal. Salvation applies to social and political life as well. Jesus preached a kingdom which was concerned with the poor, the oppressed, and the despised. Mother Teresa, more than anyone in the 20th century, reminded us all that the good news of the gospel cannot be limited just to the individual or simply pushed into a future world. The poor must know that we love them, she used to say. And the Christian church, when it is striving for justice, is also living and preaching that salvation. The gospel cannot live happily with those aspects of life which bind or grind people made in God's image. Mother Teresa knew that better than anyone and lived it out to the end of her 87 years of life and lived it out quietly. And here, Jesus quietly proclaimed the salvation he was bringing when he rode into Jerusalem on the back of that colt. Others around him made a fuss and we know were somewhat wide of the mark, but he simply carried on with his mission, with his work. And maybe that's something for us to reflect on today in a world where still the cult of celebrity reigns and the desire to be acknowledged and acclaimed is strong for many of us, even as churches. Which brings me back to the cult, to the donkey. The donkey awakened, his mind still savouring the afterglow of the most exciting day of his life. Never before had he felt such a rush of pleasure and pride. He walked into town 
and found a group of people by the well. I'll show myself to them, he thought. But they didn't notice him. They went on drawing their water and paid him no attention. Throw your cloaks down, he said crossly. Don't you know who I am? They just looked at him in amazement. Someone slapped him across the behind and ordered him to move. Miserable so-and-sos, he muttered to himself. I'll just go to the market where the good people are. They'll remember me. But the same thing happened. No one paid any attention to the donkey as he strutted down the main street in front of the marketplace. The branches! Where are the branches? he shouted. Yesterday you threw branches from the field. Hurt and confused, the donkey returned home to his mother. Foolish one, she said gently. Don't you realise that without him, you are just an ordinary donkey? Like the donkey, who carried Jesus into Jerusalem, we are most fulfilled when we are in the service of Jesus Christ. Without him, as the prophet Isaiah writes, all our best efforts amount to little filthy rags. But when we lift up Jesus, however, we are no longer ordinary people, but key players in God's plan to save the world, singers in the great chorus of hosannas that has spread across the world and across time since that first donkey entered Jerusalem. That donkey that the Lord needed. That donkey that probably would not have been the disciples' choice as a mount for Jesus. It wasn't a majestic horse. It had never even previously been ridden. Unproven even as a beast of burden. And yet this was Jesus' choice. Did the owner know what Jesus had in mind for the colt when the arrangement was made? Although there's a possibility that all of this happened spontaneously, most scholars agree that Jesus had set this up on a previous visit. But did the owner know? Well, maybe if he had, he would perhaps have suggested that Jesus use at least a donkey that had been ridden before. What we do know is that this cult was the one chosen by Jesus. Just as we are, chosen by Jesus. Whether others would choose us or not, the surprising, amazing thing is that the one through whom all things were made wants to use you and me. He wants to use us individually and as his church. And he invites us to share with him in bringing God's kingdom he invites us, as it were, to carry him into all sorts of places and situations, to carry the Prince of Peace, as insignificant as we might feel, as unprepared as we might feel, to bring in that kingdom of justice, to set the oppressed free, to share food with the hungry, to provide the refugee 
with shelter, to clothe the naked, to love our neighbour. Because Jesus sees what we are capable of. He sees our potential and he affirms each one of us and believes in us, whether we think others do or not. Ignacy Jan Paderewski was born in 1860 in a village in Poland. And he studied at the Warsaw Musical Institute with many other Eastern European teachers and composers. And he became one of Poland's world-renowned pianists. And although his own compositions are well-known, Paderewski was widely praised for the way he played Chopin. But in addition to delighting Poland and the world with his music for over 50 years, he also became one of Poland's great statesmen. When they regained independence in 1918, Paderewski became Poland's Prime Minister and Secretary of Foreign Affairs. But we might never have known about him. When Paderewski was due to leave his native Poland to play his first recital in London, he asked an influential colleague to give him a letter of introduction to a leading figure in Britain's musical world who might be of assistance should anything go amiss. The letter was handed to him in a sealed envelope. He hoped that everything would proceed smoothly and that he would not have to use it. And he didn't. His debut was a great success and nothing went wrong. But some years later, when he was going through his papers, he came upon the letter again and opened it. It read, This will introduce Jan Paderewski, who plays the piano, for which he demonstrates no conspicuous talent. Not everyone believes in us and affirms us in this life. But God does, and will. And he wants to use us for his plans and purposes. Now, of course, it's important that we do seek the guidance and advice of trusted Christian brothers and sisters when we feel called into something new. That's why it's important to be part of a good, Jesus-centered church community like this one. But remember the cult, which no one had ever ridden, yet chosen by Jesus to carry the Son of God, the Saviour of the world. So I want to say to you and to me, and to you as a church, where is Jesus asking you to carry him today? Amen.